time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, August 28th, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, guys, where do I start today? Uh, you guys been watching the news lately or uh, just any other channel, I guess, and to see kind of what's been going on the past uh, few hours, we'll say, the past 24, 36 hours? Been rather crazy time out there, I must say. Um <laughs> Let me say this to start. I kind of said this at first uh, yesterday to start the show when we talked about Billy Hayes. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and uh, listen to that podcast from yesterday, then definitely go check it out. A lot of fun conversations with two-time College World Series baseball umpire Billy Hayes. Um, today on the program, we have Scott Root, Division One, AA, college football white hat, crew chief, referee uh, in the big sky. Worked football a long time. We worked high school football together and uh, just a great all-around guy, guy who's very passionate about football. Okay, so I said this yesterday about Billy Hayes. For those listening to this program, you kind of know that I spend the first 10, 20 minutes talking about something that's on my mind, current event, if you will, just some random thoughts. And I just want to always be clear that especially to those people who are tuning in just specifically for the, the guest today, people who might know Scott Root or yesterday, people who know Billy Hayes who don't listen to this program a lot. I do want to make it clear, public service announcement, that you know my opinions are my opinions. They're not necessarily tied into our guest. All right? I don't want to sabotage or blindside one of our guests, ask them to come on the program, say, hey, come on the program. Let's talk about uh, football or baseball. And then I get up here the morning of and start talking about current events or giving my opinions on the craziness that's going on in the world. Okay. That's not necessarily what they signed up for knowing that I would give my two cents. So I just want to make that clear. And again, if you're here to just listen to Scott root and uh, don't want to really hear what I have to say, by all means, fast forward. The, uh, the, the podcast is a beautiful thing that way. Just fast forward about 15, 20 minutes or so, and you'll eventually get to the uh, Scott root interview. That said, I do have some rather strong opinions today. And I want to also say before the Scott Rude interview, we're going to have our Friday segment, Suds with Studs, which is a segment I've been doing on Fridays that pays tribute, just briefly, quick summary about somebody who is either in law enforcement, firefighter, uh, military. We originally started talking about a lot of Medal of Honor winners. It's just something to talk about someone that has been brave, heroic, showed some courage, uh, given of themselves, just a very selfless person in the uh, law enforcement or military uh, area. So that's what we're doing on Fridays before our interview. Uh, but I do want to say with some of the things that have been going on, I, it's this odd feeling. I'm like at a loss for words, but I also have a lot of things to say. So I don't know if anyone else can relate to that or not. Before I go into it, I want to backtrack a little bit. 
when I joined minor league baseball in 2009, I was selected. I was fortunate to, uh, to earn a spot in minor league baseball. Everyone said, you know, guys, if you have a professional baseball team, a team in major league baseball that you're a big fan of, uh, you need to, you need to check that at the door and move on from it. And I wasn't the only guy who felt this way, but there were plenty of guys who were like, yeah, I grew up a, a Dodgers fan or guy. Oh, I grew up a Yankees fan, a Cardinals fan, whatever. And it's, it's more of a loyalty to the city or the area you're from. Right. But I thought to myself, Oh, I can, I can get, I can get through this just fine. Like I, I'm not going to be a diehard Dodger fan. Like I once was. Cause I used to be the guy that watched 162 games a year in some, some form, right. Watch the last few innings or whatever, go into 20 plus games a year. So I got into minor league baseball and everybody said that they said, yeah, you, you're going to be dealing with professional baseball players. Yes, they're at lower levels, and many of these guys may or may not make the big leagues, but it's not going to matter what what team uniform they wear. And so as I grew up and I was this diehard Dodger fan, as well as the Lakers and the Rams and all Kings and all this, I just never thought, eh, I, okay, I, I, can, I can live in two separate worlds. It's not a big deal. I'll, I'll be okay. I like the Dodgers. Well, it did not take very long for me to realize that all the baseball players treated umpires different. I, I saw firsthand how umpires were treated by coaches, managers, and players. And yeah, we made mistakes. And at times uh, you could say we deserve it, but I'll tell you firsthand experience that the way baseball players react professional, especially in the professional side of things, minor league or otherwise, uh, completely unacceptable. And people still cheer, cheer for these guys. So I went into minor league baseball, did not take very long. For me to realize that, okay, I'm no longer a Dodger fan because it doesn't matter what the uniform says. They're all the same. All the players are the same. And, and I'm generalizing. There's a few good guys out there that I had no issues with. All right. But I remember I got to the California League. This guy, Yasiel Puig, was just came from Cuba. And everyone all was hype about him. Uh, he didn't speak much English, but he was a pain to deal with. I'll tell you right now. That's just an example. There's other guys too. Um, so I learned to kind of stop being a Dodger fan because I got involved in minor league baseball. And there's plenty of guys who have umpired minor league baseball that definitely feel that way. Not about the Dodgers, but about whatever team they rooted for, whatever team they're from or city they're from. And again, I never thought I wouldn't be a Dodger fan. I was a huge Dodger fan. Guys, a huge one. There was a time I loved the Dodgers more than the Rams because the Rams were, you know, 2,000 miles away, 1,500, whatever it is. And I was like, the Dodgers were LA and the Lakers were, they were the more popular uh, team in LA, I'd say. So I kind of always go against what's popular. But I was a huge Dodger fan and I thought it would be tough to kind of step away. Do I still watch the Dodgers? Yeah. Cause they're on a lot. My friends watch them and uh, care about them more than I do. I'd never thought I'd see the Dodgers in the world series and, and saw them in the world series for a couple of years here in the recent years. But I honestly can say I'm not the diehard Dodger fan I used to be. And I, and I was the biggest, the absolute biggest. Well, my point of all this is that you can never say never. And as part of my kind of breakup with the Dodgers, I got to tell you today that as of August 28th, 
2020. Uh, or excuse me. Yeah, August 28th. You know, I, I'm pretty sure my relationship with the Los Angeles Lakers is done. I've been critical of the NBA for a few months here. What I saw on Wednesday with started with the Milwaukee Bucks and then turned into this massive protest by the entire NBA, or at least those teams that were in the bubble, refusing to play, refusing to do something that they were paid for uh, because of the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. So a couple things here. If you if you're a believer that police brutality is a is a has been a real consistent um, issue over the years, hey, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Absolutely, I, I, I totally hear you there. But when you're going to protest something, when you're going to try this radical movement, this radical boycott of something, you better have all the facts, and you better have a plan too. You're just going to not play or leave the floor and and in protest to, to show, to show what? That the police killed a man in Wisconsin. No one has mentioned of those NBA players. No one ever wants to be critical of the police. And, and once again, no one wants to say one thing about the actions of Mr. Blake. I started talking about this on Wednesday with Bill. You guys have heard that Wednesday. You guys heard yesterday. I commented on it. And as more and more facts come out, uh, it becomes more and more clear. To some people, not everyone, that's for sure. So LeBron James, you guys know where I stand on him. Never been a fan. was furious when he came to the Lakers. Uh, LeBron James is little by little running the NBA into the ground if he has not already. His legacy, I hope to God other, other people see what he has done to the NBA and currently the Los Angeles Lakers. All right. I'm done with the Los Angeles Lakers. Never thought I'd say that, but never say never. It happened to me in minor league baseball with the Dodgers, and it's happened to me the past few days with the Lakers. I had a good time. I had a great run. It was fun. Watching basketball, just basketball, it was a blast. But unfortunately... That's all done. So I got other sports to watch. I mean, my fear is that the the, the Rams, they're going to do something extreme here soon. And uh, that'll be, that fandom will be tested as well. So if I've learned anything these past few months and I've gone back and forth, guys, it's I don't need sports. I never thought I'd say this. Again, back to never say never. I'm 35 years old. I've seen championships in sports. I've experienced a lot of fun things. My entire life has been sports. But you know what? Some of the things I've seen in recent days and recent weeks, I am just totally over. And if you want to talk about the situation in Wisconsin and the situation with uh, the division the past few months, if we're going to gain any progress then we need to be able to clearly see when something is wrong, like we did in May in Minneapolis. Pretty sure the entire country was 
was uh, talking about the Minneapolis police saying, yeah, that was that was wrong. I don't remember one person saying it wasn't. But then we take this other situation in Wisconsin and people just see what they want to see. Some people are honestly seeing in that video the police show up, get out of the car, and shoot a man in the back. It's not true. (laughs) It's not true, guys. Facts are stubborn things. No one mentions the physical altercation, the tackling of the suspect. No one mentions trying to taser him. No one mentions. I'm talking to the NBA right now and the the professional uh, sports heroes that are speaking out on this stuff. No one mentions the knife. Whether it was on him, he was reaching for it. No one mentions that. So pretty hard to move forward when people see what they want to see. But as for me, never say never, guys, because things come up in your life, in our lives, where our belief system is challenged, our viewpoints on things are challenged, is challenged. And some things we never thought we'd do, we end up doing. And things we never think we would not do, that we would do, excuse me, we end up doing. Things we, try that again. Things we thought we would never do, we end up doing. So that's where I'm at today. I'm going to speak out on this stuff a lot more these next few weeks. I'm trying not to. Uh, alienate or push away any people, especially the people, again, the people that come on this program, I don't want to blindside them and say, Hey, uh, Oh, by the way, I'm going to talk about what's going on. I hope they kind of understand that. But again, if you're here to just hear the guests, there's no, there's no reason you can't fast forward. Please don't let my opinions here take away from fun interviews with guests uh, on the program, because the guests that do come on the program, I have tremendous respect for. And I want you guys to hear what they have to say about their journey in life or some of the things they've gone through or just kind of what they're currently doing. And a lot of it has to do with sports. I'm not going to stop talking sports. All right, but I'm done with the fan stuff in some of these sports. I'm done. I got other things to do. I just do. So I don't know where you guys stand on this. It's not really that important as far as uh, me talking into this microphone. Guys, if we disagree on things, that's part of life. All right, but I feel obligated now to to speak my mind more, and that's what I'm doing. All right, I am, uh, I'm over the NBA. I'm over the Lakers. I'm moving forward. And I want to take you guys to the 1940s real quick. Do you guys remember when baseball players had to come off the field they 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 walked off the field they stopped going to work but it was a lot different than what baseball players did wednesday night what nba players did wednesday night those guys went off the field because they went to europe or the pacific to fight evil 
who knows what Ted Williams would have hit had he not been in the military fighting for the United States in World War II in the middle of his career. So think about that when you see these athletes, these very, very wealthy athletes, walk off the court or walk off the field because they they don't have the opportunities that everyone else does. They don't make the money everyone else does. That's the only truth. I don't know how many Americans make $30 million a year or even the league minimum, what, $500,000 a year in baseball anyway. I'm not sure what it is in the NBA or the NFL, but it's probably similar. A few hundred thousand dollars, a league minimum. Anyway, I'm curious what uh, guys like Ted Williams would have thought of this situation. When they left the fields, they were professional athletes in to go fight the Axis powers in World War II. Think about that. Just think about that. That's all I can say. Well, on Fridays, guys, we've been doing a segment called Suds with Studs. And, uh, you know, speaking of real heroes, um, that's what we wanted to do on our segment with Suds with Studs. So we call it Suds with Studs because if it were at all possible, these are people that we would love to sit down and have a beer with. And you could be assured we would not just be buying the first round, but all the rounds. And these are true heroes. These are people who have done something extremely brave, whether it be law enforcement, firefighter, in the military. So I, I hope you guys have enjoyed these as much as I have done in talking about them. And, and again, it's not always this super detailed account I give. I just, uh, it's kind of a really broad summary, just a real quick outline about a person. And I encourage you guys to go look up these people because I think there's more to that. You guys can read a lot more of it or see maybe some videos on these people uh, than I could ever, you know, in just saying a few words about them, but just to get, get the ball rolling, really get you guys to take an interest into some of these people. So great studs with studs segment here upcoming. And then right after that, we'll get into our interview with Scott root. So a quick break here after a quick break, we will jump right into studs with studs. And then that will lead right into the interview with Scott Root. So thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you guys enjoy both of these segments here on Friday to get us around third and home safe for the weekend. So enjoy. Well, guys, it's Friday. And on Fridays, the past couple of months, we have been paying tribute to some real heroes, some people who have really displayed uh, true courage and just some very heroic acts, uh, either one specific moment or just over a, uh, a career, if you will. We've had a lot of Medal of Honor winners. We've had uh, we talked about a firefighter or two. We have discussed some law enforcement officers and some major events. So these are the type of people that we like to pay tribute to on Fridays. And today uh, we will absolutely be doing that once again. We do call this segment Suds with Studs because if it were at all possible, these are people that we would absolutely love to sit down and have a beer with and you could be absolutely guaranteed that we would not just be buying the first round but all the rounds so that's what we came up with we've been doing that for a couple of months now 
And uh, today we have someone uh, incredibly special we're going to talk about. His name is Savad Johnson, and he is a Detroit firefighter. He's been at the Detroit Fire Department for 26 years. Um, the situation that came up with Mr. Johnson was uh, last Friday, actually, that we're going to talk about today. Um, Mr. Savad Johnson was a Detroit native. He's been in the force, like I said, or not the force, but the fire department a very long time. Uh, he was walking with his daughter last Friday, just walking uh, on an off day. And uh, he was over in the, let's see here, by the Detroit River. And uh, unfortunately, Mr. Johnson heard uh, some locals kind of crying for help, if you will. Um, it was over by the, uh, I said the Detroit River, but specifically uh, by Bell Island, or they were visiting Bell Island, him and his daughter, his 10-year-old daughter. And as they were walking around that area, uh, they heard from witnesses that uh, three young girls were drowning in the Detroit River. Well, Mr. Savad Johnson being no stranger to uh, these type of situations where uh, life and death is on the line, uh, immediately took action, gave his belongings to his daughter, and jumped in the water along with somebody else, I believe. And uh, they managed, he managed to uh, save the three girls who uh, were drowning. And um, unfortunately, Mr. Sivad Johnson um, was not found. They could not find him um, that evening. Uh, there was reports that uh, authorities believe there may have been uh, rip currents that kind of dragged him away uh, after they got the girls to shore. Um, no one saw him specifically get carried away, uh, but that is what they fear happened. And very unfortunate that uh, Mr. Sivad Johnson, his body was found the following day. Uh, he passed away. He died a true hero, saving three young girls in the process, and just a truly remarkable, uh, I can't even put it, I'm, I'm still like shocked by it. I, I tried to record this as soon as I heard about it, just because I wanted to make sure that this was what we talked about this Friday. But it really goes to show that you, you never do know when your time is in this world and you got to make every second every day count i mean he just went for a walk with his daughter was hanging out on an off day uh, not not uh, on the clock if you will but like firefighters and law enforcement um there really is never a time they're off the clock because if if a situation arises much like it did here in detroit uh, Mr. Johnson, and I'm sure there's plenty other uh, men and women like him who wouldn't hesitate to jump into action to uh, attempt to save someone. And, and he did just that. It's truly remarkable that he saved three lives. It's just very sad that in doing so, he sacrificed his life for three other people. So just an unbelievable story. I, I saw it. I couldn't believe it. And it was something that I wanted to talk about today uh, just because it was so recent and something that I think we can all just, I don't know, this has been a, a tough year and uh, law enforcement and all these people have, have really had a, a tough year and tough stories kind of go against them. And I thought this would be something that was just uh, that you guys would find as powerful as I did. So uh, to Mr. Savad Johnson, uh, I salute you, sir. Um, if it were at all possible, I would love to sit down and have a beer with you. Uh, and just I raise a glass to your courage and un unbelievable um, 
selfless acts uh, last Friday that you you did in leaving your daughter on the shore and going in to save three young girls and in doing so sacrificing your life for them. So you are hands down the type of the one of the type of people that we uh, want to talk and pay tribute to talk about I should say excuse me and uh, guys it's stories like this that I want to share with you guys on Fridays suds with studs it might be a corny name but in all seriousness this is a uh, this is a segment I really uh, want to target on Fridays with um, just inspirational stories this isn't a good story I'll say even though three young people were saved um, someone sacrificed their life for, for three other people so I don't know it's sad it's bad but it's also good in a way so I uh, unfortunately that's how some of these stories have gone in learning lessons and really trying to be inspired by someone who gives of themselves which all law enforcement and firefighters and you know military all these people this is what they do and uh, just willing to jump in at a moment's notice no hesitation at all just trying to help somebody else so mr savad johnson we salute you uh, cheers to you we raise a glass to you and uh, yes, we would love to sit down and have a beer with you, sir. I know it's not possible, but if it were at all possible, um, you could absolutely be sure we would be buying not just the first round, but all the rounds. Uh, Mr. Savad Johnson, he was also somebody that uh, he has spoken on a podcast before. So if you guys are interested in hearing this guy's voice, um, hearing kind of what he had to say about some kind of behind the scenes, um, behind the scenes, uh, of, of the Detroit firefighters. Uh, there, there was an interesting podcast on it. Let me pull it up for you here. It's called to bravely do or to, or bravely die podcast. And I had some trouble finding it, but I did find it at the moth.org, the moth.org. And, uh, it should be right there. Uh, you should be able to find it search, uh, to, to bravely do or bravely die podcast. And it's just a 15 minute, um, segment that they have uh, listed on the front of their uh, front of their page here. I don't know how many podcast episodes he got out, or if this was the only one. But Savad Johnson uh, shared some stories about uh, just life as a Detroit firefighter in the Detroit Fire Department. Um, some sad stories where uh, they didn't quite, they weren't able to save some people, but just more stories that these people see every day. And I think we need to pay greater attention to in thinking about the acts and things that they face every single day. I think um, we would appreciate them so much more if we looked up kind of what exactly their days are like. And so that was a good opportunity for me to hear uh, him talk about his previous uh, situations involved in uh, his fire firefighting times. So if you're looking for something to listen to, it's about 15 minutes. Just uh, type in Savad Johnson, look up um, his podcast. As I mentioned, it is called To Bravely Do or Bravely Die. And that was about 15, 14 minutes. So Savad Johnson, we salute you. And you are someone, uh, once again, that we um, enjoy talking about and sharing just some brief information for our guests. And I, I hope everyone else out there listening to this, just do a quick Google search of Mr. Johnson, kind of look up exactly what he did last Friday in saving three young girls and uh, giving his life so that they could live and just a truly remarkable person. So one of many people that we continue to talk about on our Friday segment here every week, Suds with Studs.
Okay, joining us today on the program is Scott Root. Scott and I officiated high school football for a while together at Foothill Citrus Football Officials Association. Scott is still active there. He is also a college football official in the Big Sky Conference, which is a 1AA, also known as FCS. I'll let him explain all that to you in a second. Uh, Scott is a teacher at Covina High School as well. He's been there a long, long time. He played college baseball at the University of Laverne. We got a lot of different things to talk about here. We're going to jump right in and tackle them one at a time. Scott Root, welcome. Welcome to the program, my friend. Thanks for having me, Maddie. A uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. So, <laughs> oh, awesome! Uh, I'm sure you've had an opportunity to listen to a lot of people, but have you listened to some of the other guys who've uh, come out of Foothill Citrus Football Officials? Oh yeah, I always li listen to them to hear what they have to say, and uh, all the people you've had on there have been great, great guys, and uh, they're also great friends. So. Well, absolutely. And Scott, when I started football back in 2007, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I was so fortunate to meet guys like yourself, Tracy McFate, uh, Ruben Lopez, Bob Gordon, just countless guys that uh, I still consider friends and I love talking to to this day, even if it's not about football. Yeah, I mean, I, I got into fo football, but Football is a, is a passion, but it's more of the lifelong friends that, that you make because you have so much in common, just talking football and all that stuff. So just the friends you, you, you mentioned are my friends and, you know, there are countless more, um, but it's just a great job or, or great having friends like, like that you can, you, you can always call and, uh, and talk, talk, talk to and um, just tell stories. It, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I fell in love with it right away. And I was around a lot of guys that quite frankly, were, were a lot older than me. And, and it was a new scene for me as well being in my early 20s and everything. But it was so welcoming. I'm so grateful that I started football first, because I think it was a lot better than uh, some of the other sports uh, will say, as far as just guys wanted to include you and educate you and you you felt welcome right away in football not just in the unit but with the top guys in the unit and so that was something I've always been grateful for uh Scott you you started uh, in high school football in 1991 with the Foothill Citrus Football Officials Association and and if I could ask you we're going to talk about a lot of different things here you know where you grew up in college and everything but uh, how did you get your start involved in football officiating? I mean, did you ever play football? Uh, how did how did it start for you? Well, I played one year of uh, uh, high school football, as everyone does usually their their uh, freshman year. Uh, but I was a, a baseball player, so when I graduated from college, I moved back to my parents' house, and that's when back in the day and. 91 um people still got the newspaper i don't know if people nowadays get know about a, uh, a newspaper being delivered and my dad and i would always fight over the sports section and i got the sports section and i opened it up and in the ad right there was was um football officials needed for the fall season um call this number and um i called the number and uh, uh went to the first meeting and and uh ever since then it's been it's been my passion. So, well, you're not the only guy I've heard that said that the whole newspaper uh, ad thing. Maybe we, maybe we need more of that out there these days. But, uh, but, but Scott, you said you saw the ad. I mean, did did you just what was your initial thought? Like, oh, that sounds interesting, or was it like, 
oh, I've seen those guys who ref. I can do better than that. What was the initial thought when you read the ad that kind of got you to go out there? Yeah, I just I I'm a sports person. I like I like to watch sports just like yourself. Doesn't matter. It could, it could be um, uh, a rock throwing championship. I don't know what it is, but I just <laughs> like to watch something on on the on. Uh, TV or something. So I just said, you know, this is something that, and a friend of mine said, Hey, let's, let's do this. And I, I never really looked at the officials or watched the officials during games. And I watched, I, so I said, yeah, let's just try it just to pass some time. Cause I, at the time I didn't know what I wanted to do um, in terms of my career. So um, I was, uh, I had a job, but um, I just wanted something else. And um, it sounded like something, something fun to do. Well, you've had quite a career, uh, not only in the high school uh, level, but as well as the community college level, and now the uh, Division One AA level, also known as a football championship uh, subdivision, I believe is what it stands for. So if you can tell me real quick, Scott, about working in the Big Sky Conference, which is out here on the West Coast, uh, primarily schools like, you know, in the Montana area and, and kind of that region, Northern Arizona, uh, I refer to it as one double A. I know that at one time it was. What can you tell me about uh, division FCS, you know, one double A football and just what it's been like working in? If you could tell us anything about uh, the level itself. Well, the, the FCS level is a division one um, college or a, a division one com conference. And um, it's just the fact that it's the amount of scholarships that could be given. Um, there is that, then they call it the championship series because there is an actual championship bracket where winners of, you know, they, they invite uh, teams to, to play and there's a bracket just like the March madness. And there's a, there's at the end crowned a national cha championship. Um, but some of the players that, that have gone on, uh, you know, that have played in the FCS level, um, People are like, well, there's no real good players. Well, if you ever heard of Cooper Cup, um, he played at um, Eastern Washington. Uh, there's Jerry Rice who played, you know, back in the day played there. Carson Wentz played at the um, FCS level. So um, it's it's a very uh, high caliber brand of, of fo football. And um, like I tell people, it doesn't matter where you go to school, people are going to find you and they're, they're going to, they're going to, you know, use your talents and maybe you can go to the next, next level. But, you know, we can, our, our schools compete with the FBS or the, or, or the division one um, schools like USC and stuff. So we have teams that play Oregon, Oregon state. Um, and they, they give them a real good, good game. They, you know, they may come up short at the end, but we've had some teams that have gone on and, and beaten that um, FBS school. So I think it's just the, the, the one thing that, that separates us from the, the higher level is the, the depth. I think um, the FCS doesn't have the depth on their roster, um, you know, because of the lack of the scholarships. So it's definitely a good level of football. I mean, I, I've officiated a community college football, division three football, had an opportunity to work a couple games down at University of San Diego, which is, you know, technically division one double A, I guess, but uh, that's not affiliated with the big sky, but there's some really good teams, as you mentioned. And, and I think it's, you know, from what I've heard, from what I've seen uh, from afar, 
uh, and even even in the uh, the postseason, you flip on the television, and these are actual playoff games taking place, not bowl games, not only four teams making a playoff, but in that level, the championship level, uh, they are playing a playoff game. I believe it's 16 teams. I could be wrong, but uh, it's really cool. It, it should be common sense that you have a playoff, but when you see it at the highest level, because division, you know, FBS doesn't do that. Uh, I've always respected the FCS level and the big sky and, and all the different uh, levels around the country or schools around the country that play at that level. Yeah. I mean, it's the, uh, that championship bracket, it's, 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 it's like, it's just like the March madness. You, you win or go, go home. And my big thing is with the, uh, with the high, you know, the, the FBS with all the bowl games and stuff like that, I think they can make a, uh, a championship uh, thing out of it where they take some of the, the, the bowl games and maybe take 16 or 32 teams or whatever. And then the first round, just name each, each round that bowl game. So they're the, Mm -hmm. the, the sponsors still getting their, their, their money. And then you make the, you know, their four bowls, the, the, the sugar bowl, you know, the, the Rose bowl, those are your four other ones, but teams work their way through, but I don't know if that would work with, with them, but um, that's just my, my opinion. Well, I didn't mention, Scott, but you are a, a referee in the Big Sky. You are a white hat. You are the crew chief, if you will. And you've been in the Big Sky since 2015. Uh, you, it's, again, we've talked about uh, the, the high level that it is. You have had an opportunity to work a, a, a playoff game uh, in recent years at that level. And so what can you tell me about uh, where you went for that play, playoff game and what the experience was like working as a white hat at, at the highest level that you currently work? Um, well, the game was at South Dakota, uh, South Dakota State. It was South Dakota State and um, Villanova, and um, it was just it was an experience of of a life lifetime. It was snowing, of course, but um, it was just the atmosphere that that was there. But not only the atmosphere, but the but what we had to do to work our way up to the game all the conference all the meetings we had to to go through um and it was a it was a a split crew so kind of like an all-star crew so it wasn't my normal crew so getting the crew ready to um to work this this game and then once we got out there um you know it was it was football but it was a very competitive game um very uh you know the players were were great, uh, fast, and um, but it was just it was a great experience, and I, I was able to I was fortunate to work my first playoff game with a, a good friend from Foot, Foothill Sisters, J- Jeff Young. Um, so we were able to work our game together. So it was pretty fun. Well, I don't have as much experience as you, Scott, but I can honestly say that anytime you get uh, any type of playoff assignment at a higher level, you know, college or big time high school, when it's a split career or anything, having that familiar face by your side uh, does make all the difference rather than just showing up and working kind of with guys that you haven't worked with. And that's not to say you haven't worked with those other guys uh, on the crew, but to have a guy that you've kind of worked with even at the high school level into the college level, doesn't that make all the difference having someone a familiar familiarity, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it really does. It, um, it kind of calms you down when you're out there because, uh, um, you, you basically work with them. So you know what their, 
what their on-field uh, stuff is like. So you're not really nervous about it. Um, but yeah, um, even though I, I knew everybody on the crew, um, you know, in fact, there was another guy who was on my original crew who was on that game um, as well. But it was just it was just having that that familiar face that I grew up uh, referee in fo football. Jeff and I came in around the same time, so that just kind of helped it out. Yeah, it, it's just it made it a lot more uh, comforting be, being out there. Absolutely. Well, we'll kind of work backwards here from uh, you know, as far as your football career goes, but as far as the Big Sky Conference, uh, Scott, the Big Sky was one of the first conferences in recent weeks to basically, and maybe you can update me, but basically postpone, cancel, whatever you want to call it, uh, the upcoming fall season. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, we've seen other uh, bigger conferences who've done the same thing, the Pac-12 and the Big, the Big Ten. I mean, wh what do you know of anything, if anything, that kind of went into that decision? And are most of uh, you and your colleagues, are you guys relieved? Are you guys upset? I mean, take, uh, take us into uh, the, crew, the crew conference calls, I guess, as far as how most Big Sky officials are feeling that they won't have a season here in the fall. Well, it was... <clears throat> It was, we really didn't know what, it was on and off. It was kind of like, okay, who are we going to have a season and whatever. And I think it all stemmed at our level with the uh, CAA, which has James Madison and some teams like that. And they were the first to actually cancel their season along with the Ivy League. I think they were close uh, uh, together. So we were kind of like, okay, now the dominoes are, are going to start to fall. Who's going to be the next one? And our conference kind of was was pushing was pushing it off for a while because some of our the the team or the states that our teams play in they were having a a, a real good handle on this on this um, virus that's that's out there so they were kind of waiting and in a wait and see mode and then there were uh, more conferences uh, Division One Double um, A conferences that were oh no we're gonna we're gonna cancel the fall and then right around um, August 3rd or something is when ours came out and they said, we're going to go to the spring. Now, when it went to the spring, you know, we were on our crew conference calls. We've been talking since March. We were kind of, I mean, we were, we weren't relieved. We were just thankful that there was an answer because we were getting answers like, Oh, we're going to play. We're not going to play. Oh, we're going to play. And now trying to get ready for the season and getting mentally ready for the season. And I was telling some people, I really didn't feel mentally ready because um, um, we didn't do any spring ball or we didn't do any, any summer ball and, and, and stuff, stuff like that. So it was kind of like, okay, part of it is I'm glad it got canceled because now I can study more and, and maybe get some reps in and, and doing some other fo football. But um, it was just a, it was a mind bender. Are we going to play or aren't we going, going to play? So. Yeah, it's got to be weird, even for the for the athletes and the coaches too. And preparing, you're preparing for something that may or may not happen, which is so different, so unique. And you and I both know that so much goes into a football season. And I can honestly say, outside, you know, I've worked the other two sports. Football puts the most off the field time into the game, into the season, and I think that's probably just the structure of how football is. It's a one day a week sport. So that gives you 
three, you know, six other days of the week to either talk about last week's game or to start preparing for the next week's game, right? So uh, as far as off the field preparing for the upcoming season, you said you weren't quite, didn't feel quite ready. So there was some, was there somewhat of a relief or was it kind of a, a disappointment in the fact that, man, you, you look forward to this all season, all year, I should say, and then all of a sudden it's postponed? Um, it was kind of, it, it, it was kind of mixed, to be honest okay. with you. It was kind of like, I was really looking forward because our crew was, we were meeting every week, uh, going over film and, and tests and stuff. Um, and then when we weren't going to be able to, when they said, oh, we're going to be able to start in August, and then they were pushing it back, you know, would we really be ready? Would, would we get any preseason snaps, even before the season, like go up to go up to one of our colleges and do their, do their scrimmages? We weren't even going to be able to do that. So our first game would have been an actual, an actual real game. And um, were, would, would people be mentally prepared for, for that? And there were other things that, that were out there, like, you know, we, we would have to be required to wear a mask on the field and have an electronic whistle and, um, you know, all these uh, stuff, this peripheral stuff, is that going to play into your mind as you're out on the field? Are you going to be totally <laughs> focused on the game or, or worried about, oh, that guy just coughed. Does, does he have the virus or, or what, you know? So it's, it was kind of, I don't think we, we were relieved. We were kind of saddened because my crew has been working so hard. Um, but, you know, it was now we're just getting ready for the spring. So as of now, they are planning to try to try to go with this thing in the spring. When would it start? Probably January, February sometime? We are looking at maybe the end of middle of February okay. to the uh, beginning of March. Um, probably, I think all the schools that are going to that are going to do do this um, will probably play a limited um, conference schedule and then there'll be a limited playoff schedule. So my question is, uh, and again, I don't know much about this, with did the entire FCS uh, postpone to the spring, or is it only some conferences? Uh, no, I, there, I think there are two conferences that are still planning on playing. Um, I think uh, Central Arkansas, I think it's a Southern Conference is still wanting to play. Uh, and then there's a conference in... Uh, I forget the other one, but yeah, no, but they're scheduling games like uh, Florida State is, is just scheduled them. So they're still planning on, there's still two conferences that are planning on playing in the fall. Now, does that mean they're eligible for the FCS playoffs when the rest of them go? I'm yeah. that, that we're not sure because we haven't heard about that yet. And, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the NCAA come out and say there will be no fall championships uh, recently? Yeah, they, they came out and said that uh, there's going to be no championship. So Division three got theirs canceled. Division two got theirs canceled. And then just recently, uh, Division I, um, AA got theirs. And even um, Division one, the, the, the FBS, there's going to be no conference cha championship. So it's just play, play what you will. So does that mean, at least for you guys and the other conferences that may be playing in the spring, that because – football would be played in the spring that there could potentially still be playoffs and championship. That's what they are working on right now. I think our, 
our um, our our commissioner is spearheading that to try to get a uh, a championship in in the spring um, for the schools that that uh, push their season back to to the spring. Okay. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out with some schools still playing and other schools waiting. I have a sneaky feeling that uh, maybe things uh, just get canceled altogether. Uh, this whole spring plan seems a little odd to me, but, but we'll see what happens. Um, Scott, if you could tell us uh, kind of about working the big sky, working, you know, uh, the FCS level, I got to imagine it's very similar to the FBS level as far as uh, your schedule, everything you guys do, jumping on a plane, flying in the night before and, and all this and that. What, uh, can, what can you tell the audience about a standard uh, weekend in the big sky? Say you have a, a one o'clock kickoff uh, in, at Montana State or, or wherever, northern Arizona. Uh, what is your weekend like? Uh, take, take, our, take our guests uh, uh, into your travel plans and work in the game, if you will. Okay, well, it actually starts on uh, Monday. Um, as the referee trying to get my crew, uh, we have a travel document that everyone fills in to make sure we have all of our flight arrangements in. Um, and then Tuesday, I get a call from the game administration where we talk about when we will arrive at the stadium. Um, is the microphone set up? Um, is it on TV? Um, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, Talk, talking to them then I re relay to to the crew um, and then we start talking on Wednesday about you know certain things we have a couple guys on the crew that scout the teams that we're going to do maybe how they line up so we can uh, properly co cover their uh, what they do so basically we fly in we're supposed to be in the night the the, the day before hopefully by four o'clock so we travel into wherever we're going and get in by four o'clock um we have a pre pre-game from 4 30 till about six or seven and then we will uh go to dinner have a crew di dinner and then depending on game time on saturday is going to depend on what time we get to the stadium i our crew gets to the stadium three hours before um that's so we can walk the field go up and talk to whoever we we need need to so if it's a one o'clock game um, we're there by 10 o'clock. Um, if it's a six o'clock game, we're there by, by three. So depending on in the, in the one o'clock games, we usually don't have a lot of time to, to meet. So most of our stuff is done on Friday. Um, and then we just travel to the game, um, do our, uh, pregame stuff and then, um, game, game time, six o'clock. We usually, uh, have a crew bre breakfast, um, talk any bit more on pregame that we didn't cover on Friday night and then uh, go to the game site and do, do the game. And then after the game, most people have um, early morning flights on, on Sunday because after the game, we usually go have a crew dinner because we have to input fouls and all that stuff. And then uh, we leave uh, Sunday morning and then it starts again on Monday. <laughs> it sure is a lot of time put into uh, just a one football game, right? Uh, that's that's pretty crazy, and, and I and I'm glad you were able to take us through that because not everyone understands that that there is so much that goes into 
just just kicking the ball off. And and I wasn't at your level, Scott, but I remember working college games specifically, sometimes high school too. And I was just waiting for kickoff. I'm like, can we just get to the game? I'm tired of talking about football and planning for all these different things. I just, I want to see a live snap. I want to blow a whistle. I want, you know what I mean? Like it, sometimes the buildup can be so much more stressful than the game itself. At least that was my experience. Yeah, it's, um, we have to be on the field at uh, 90 minutes before when both teams are on the field and you're just, you're just on the field going, okay, can we just, kick this off and we're, we're, we're looking at players and, and telling them, Hey, make sure your, your, your pads are fixed, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, then, you know, we go back into the, into the locker room when both teams go into their locker room for their pregame uh, talk. We're in now we're back in the lo- locker room and we're just like antsy. We're okay. Does anyone have any questions? And usually by, by that time, everyone's <laughs> doing their own little, um, their own little, cycle you know whatever they whatever they do their uh, day, daily routine some people just uh you know jump jump rope for a little bit um other guys um try not to um do do much they just like to rest um but the other thing that i that i do with my crew is we don't talk about any any rule or anything uh when we're when we're in the locker room a half hour uh, before um, because I don't want any doubts of any, if we have all these talk about it, um, I don't want to have anyone have doubts walking on the field. So basically when we're, when we're in there for that half hour, there's no real rule talk. It may be just, um, talk about the team and how they line up and stuff, but no, no rules. So probably, probably a good policy to have. And yeah, you know, you, you mentioned flying in the day before Friday, not just the day before, but early the day, like 4 PM or so. And I know guys have regular jobs, so that can be a challenge in itself. I know you're a, you're a teacher at Covina High School, and I got to imagine it's challenging for those 10, 10 weekends a year to fly somewhere pretty early, meaning you have to get out of work a little bit early yourself. So what challenges uh, d- does that uh, present to you, to guys and guys who work full time and now have to be at some random city uh, in the late afternoon on a Friday to work a football game? Well, they have to have a very uh, a supportive boss, which is what I have. My my principal's awesome. Um, he understands that I love to do this, and um, he's a he's a sports guy too. So um, he just says, just make sure uh, you get your work done during during the week, and um, have your kids have some you know uh, review work that you've gone over for the past week, which is which is good and you know, we get, we get so many uh, sick days during the year that I can use, use those. Um, but some, sometimes I told them and sometimes my schedule also uh, my teaching schedule also um, gives it, he's tried to help me out with that where I can be there for half the day or most of the day and fly out of a local air- airport here and get the latest flight and still get into some places by four o'clock. So um some if I'm flying up to um, Sac State or something like that, I can I can usually teach the full day on Friday. Uh, maybe have to leave one class period and then um, get to Ontario Airport and hop on the plane and uh, get in there uh, before we're supposed to be there. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, and I know that's a pretty standard practice as far as flying into the city the night before. 
uh, for, for guys like me who work baseball, unless there are exceptions, some cities, they want you in the night before because there's a lot of travel things that can go wrong. But in general, I mean, we fly in super early in the morning and uh, we, we work the game that day or that night and, uh, and go, you know, work the series and fly home right after. So it is a little different, but I, I understand, especially some of the places you guys got to go where there's a lot of connecting flights and weather issues where it's probably best to get in the night before. So uh, interesting stuff is definitely uh, education, ed- educational to uh, the people that are listening who may not understand that. Yeah. Referees uh, travel quite a bit there. Most of them are not from uh, Bozeman, Montana, you know, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I just, I don't, I think people just think, Oh, you just fly in and do, do the game and go home. And, and like you said, there's a lot more into this, uh, football and I wish you know people would would understand that we're not just a one day thing we we do we do seven six six days of of preparing for that one game so oh no doubt about it and then in most years I mean you're you're talking football and preparing football in uh, I mean as early as March or April and even earlier than that talking about games and upcoming games in August so there's so much that goes into football I, I really do applaud the guys that love it and put so much time into it uh, it's a, it's a special group of guys for sure. Well, well, Scott, before the big sky, you had some other success. You worked, uh, you know, some, some other levels of college football, specifically uh, in community college football in Southern California, you worked at the state finals twice, I believe once as a referee and once as a back judge, uh, the one as a referee, I actually was in attendance. And I, if I remember correctly, it wasn't just the two top teams in the state, but two teams that were ranked nationally as well. So wasn't it technically uh, a national championship, if you will? Uh, yeah, off the record, I think. <laughs> off the, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was um, San Francisco or City College of San Francisco and Mount Sac. And I guess the there's a team in – I've back east or somewhere that lost and they were ranked number two and they dropped down so san francisco college jumped up to number two and our supervisor found this out and he calls me going hey this is for the national championship and blah 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 and i'm like okay great you know and uh but it was a really well played game the crew was awesome and um had no issues um the right team or the better team won um and um, it was a real close game, had no, no issues with the coaches because I had that coach with the one coach before at San Francisco and he could have been a little bit of a, of a complainer, but he was really good. And um, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun time. Outstanding stuff. And, and I know you worked a long time at various uh, levels of college football before getting to uh, the big sky. I mean, working JC ball, working in the sky act, which is the division three conference out here. And I believe you even worked a little bit. Did you work in the, uh, what was it? The GNAC, the yes. division two conference? Yes, I did. Yeah. So, so and, you- I, and I also worked at the, it was known as the WCFOA, which had Cal Poly, um, UC Davis and Southern U- Utah. They were part of the great West conference. And uh, that was a division one um, double a, that, that was my first taste in that. And then that conference folded. So um, I was able, then I, from there, I went to the, that division two conference um, with uh, Mike Burton. So, 
So what was it like all these years at various college football levels and you're always trying to move up one level, right? Getting to the next level, working one level higher, one, one more game. I mean, what was kind of the process throughout your years in, in college football at the various levels in trying to uh, move up one more spot, you know, or what were some of the challenges or what were some of the things that you had to do really to progress and get to where you're at today? Well, first off, it was just, um, just work hard on the field. I, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of um, letting your actions um, show what, what you can do. I'm really not a, uh, I'm an introvert. I don't like to go out and, and, and advocate for, for myself to all the, all the big, big time guys. Um, I just want to let my supervisor know that I'm the best out there and hopefully my supervisor can talk for, for me. Um, uh, but there were times I had to go to some camps, um, as, as a, as a camper, a, a football camp and show the people what I could do. Um, and I just tried to let my supervisors, uh, be my, um, my source, uh, for me to move up to the next um, level, but I really tried to be the, the best that I could be at that position, um, that, that year. And hopefully if there's an opening at the next level, then my name would get brought up. And of course, some of the challenges are Southern California is such a hotbed of great, great officials, um, that, you know, trying to be in that, in that mold or in that, in that same sentence with all of those guys was, was really hard. So you just keep, keep doing what you do on the field. Go to, um, if someone asks you, Hey, we, we need someone at this scrimmage. You want to do it? Yeah, I'll go do it. And just be, be that person who they can count on that, that um, you're, you're not, that you can do it and um, you don't have any problems um, taking time off and, and, and knowing that this is your passion. Yeah, it's some of the similarities I hear. I've heard from other people uh, similar to your position. You know, it, it's it's staying hungry but staying humble. It, it's a constant theme, kind of what I hear. And that, you know, it is cliche. Some of these things. Hey, just keep just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep working hard. Uh, but it's true. It, it's a grind. It's not just this uh, magical rise through the ranks. Uh, we could argue that maybe some people go that way, but uh, you know, it doesn't always work out for those people too. So uh, there are different challenges and, and different uh, things that you got to, you, you've been at this a long time, Scott. I mean, you started, as we mentioned, Foothill Citrus in 1991. I mean, this would, if my math is correct, had the 2020 season gone on, this would have been your 30th year being involved in the high school unit. And I know as a, college official that you are you really don't have as much time to work high school games especially when you're flying somewhere on a Friday but high school football is still something you're involved in and still something you've given back to over the years right yeah um I was uh I still um attend the meetings because um I also do the ju junior college for our our unit too and some of our guys that do uh, ju junior college there so I just go there um, and, you know, I'll go to games that I have off and maybe be like an observer um, and just give, give back to the guys and, and, you know, give what was given to, to me to, to our unit so our unit can still be the, the, the strongest unit in, um, in the area. Um, so I was able to get my high school for, um, 
for the for the meeting so that's another reason why i i go back there so um i just i just want to give back to the to the unit um and hopefully um if someone asks me about about an official um then i can pass along a name or two to that person and hopefully they they take my uh recommendation seriously and pick those guys up so well, Scott, you've had a great career in, at the high school level, all, overall, of course, as well. But, I mean, you, uh, I asked you how many CAF finals you worked, and uh, I was a little surprised by the answer, not, not because I know you're not worthy of it, but I was like, man, seven CIF finals, uh, and, and I think you said four of them as, at the referee position, uh, which is another tremendous honor. I mean, uh, do all of those games kind of blend together? I mean, we always joke, oh, it's a big game. It's a big game, right? Because you don't really change much. You got to go into these games like they're just, hey, it's just a football game, even though, though there's a lot on the line. But, I mean, do you kind of – do all those CIF finals kind of blend together for you? I mean, now that you have uh, – multi man, rings for all these multiple hands of yours, you're going to have to get a third hand pretty soon here with all these championships you're doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I still remember my first one. Um, but the other ones, yeah, they kind of blend in. I, um, I, and then I remember the very last one that I, that I did at, um, Anaheim stadium. Um, but the other ones, yeah, they just blend together. Um, but I still remember my first one that I did and I had, I had gotten the flu the night before and I called the assigner Tracy McFate and I said, I don't know if I can do that because I'm sick. He goes, well, you better get better because uh, I don't want anyone else working that game. So uh, I had to get better really fast um, to do that game. And um, yeah, that was my first one. It was, uh, it was, it was a good experience. Um, and then my last one was, uh, was even better, but they all, but they're all, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the, uh, you know, which game it is. It could be a division 15 game or a division one game, um, but they'll all have the same excitement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, someone's playing for a championship. Uh, it, it's a special privilege and an honor to be out there and uh, to be like, man, we get to be in the middle of this and let's hope that we're the best team out here as well. Uh, well, well you talked about Tracy McFate, Scott, and I'm sure there's been other influences in your life at the college level and everything but if you could talk to me just about foothill citrus guys uh give me a few names that have just had a tremendous impact on, on your life in in uh, high school football officiating we talked about some of the relationships how special they are uh earlier but but if you could just as far as What's really shaped your path? People who've helped develop you at the high school level to become a leader and a mentor yourself. Oh man, the the, the list goes. The, the the list is. I mean, it, it's endless. Um, I could start with my first year instructors, uh, Vern Sparling and Wayne Wayne Young. Um, then you go into Jack O'Kane, uh, Tracy McFate, Bob Gordon, Joe Bernanski, Pete Gotro, Mike Go Gotro. Um, God, it just, uh, Bob, I, I just, I'm trying to just go down the list. Jeff Young, um, Joe Bernanski, oh God, uh, Paul Mize. Uh, <laughs> it's just all these, all the, all these guys that kind of took me under their, their wing. And, um, I think I was doing a pretty good job because, you know, they were really, uh, hey, I want this guy on my game. 
I, it's not because I didn't buy them anything after the game, you know, didn't buy them a beverage after the game. Anything. I was hoping I did a great job. But um, I just, it's one of those things where, like I said, I didn't want to have to, um, to, you know, that phrase brown nose anybody. I just wanted my, my, my work on the field to tell others that, you know, I, I can do it. And um, I'm thinking that, you know, people don't understand that during the, um, if my first couple years in there, if I didn't have a varsity game, I was actually attending a varsity game and watching the way these guys worked. Um, and so I took a lot of notes and took a lot of the way that they moved on the field and stuff. And then um, when I got my first varsity game, it just came nat natural. So um, I, I put a lot of extra work into it, but man, there are just so many, so many people that, that, that are there that that are in, in the unit and i I'm, i know i'm missing a lot um and i apologize for that but gosh there's just i came in a, in a time where you know you work hard and and you go the extra mile and you're going to get seen so um it's, it's never going to be handed to to you like it is now where we have so many we have so many teams and not enough officials that your first year you could be getting a varsity schedule um you know it's just it's something different so well there's definitely a shortage of officials at the high school level in all sports all over the country and it's uh, it's unfortunate because so many fans coaches everyone they, they still hold guys to very high standards when guys are just starting out and just learning and a lot of times that pushes uh, newer guys away and, and so it can be frustrating to retain uh, you know, the numbers and the officials, but you said a, a lot of great things there, things that I found were beneficial for me as well. Just going to games, learning from guys, watching guys, you're not sucking up to anybody. You're just there learning, you know? And yeah, now the, in this day and age, because of the shortage, things are handed to guys and it's like, okay, the product has suffered a little bit if we're honest. And, and you know, Scott, the, the, everybody thinks their unit is the best. I, I've gone to other units as a, to make up some meetings and stuff. Everyone thinks their unit is the best. But I can honestly say, as far as Southern California goes, Foothill Citrus, uh, at least at one time, and I think it currently does, still has a great name recognition, uh, even if it's not amongst other schools, but amongst other uh, officials. They know that it's a pretty high standard and some of the names you mentioned there, I mean, those are some division one officials. Those are, we've had a guy, you know, guys, uh, or guy, Sean Hockley, who's in the NFL now. I mean, we've had a tremendous uh, group over the years and getting back to when you started. And it's just, it's really cool that to be a part of that unit. And I can honestly see why you continue to give back to it all these years later. Yeah. I mean, our, our unit, has been the strongest it, it, it's kind of great to go to a playoff game and I think Tracy mentioned it when you had him on is you know when a coach sees oh Foot, Foothill Citrus they know that they're in good hands during a during a playoff game because it is a neutral crew um, but yeah it it all stems back from um, the early days with with some of our the founding members of uh, of the unit like even Dean Crowley uh, was in there and he's a big football name he started there and just I mean just every every year we keep building on it to try to get get better and you know you can only do so much as the leaders and it's up to the to the unit itself the the, the members inside the unit um, to um, 
to do what they they can. So hopefully these these unit members are taking it seriously and 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 kind of talk to the older guys to say how why is foot foothill citrus so good and maybe get that history so that it burns and burns in them and we can keep going strong yes absolutely all the best in moving forward with foothill citrus uh football officials and and you know uh, everything's kind of getting pushed back uh, in the high school football uh, to the springtime, much like you discussed with the Big Sky. I know community colleges, same thing. So there's going to be some real challenges going forward uh, in football officiating, especially with the season being a different time of year. But uh, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about uh, when that time comes uh, with some other football officials and uh, definitely yourself, Scott. Uh, well, Scott, let's talk about baseball for a second. I, I know we've talked a lot about football officiating here, but you have a real background in baseball. You played baseball not only in high school, but in college, and then you were a high school coach for quite some time. So tell me about your playing days as a baseball player. Uh, was it always your first love that get kind of the, the priority in your life, I'd say, growing up uh, in high school and then into college? Tell me about your path uh, in baseball. Um, well, I played baseball could be in high school for four, four years. I, I mean, I played it ever since I was eight. Um, and, um, then, you know, I just, I got in the game because we didn't have youth football back, back in the day. Um, and baseball was just something that all my friends played. So I got it into, it was fairly decent at it. And, um, so got to play, got into high school, played high, high school ball. Um, and then actually, um, a playoff game that we had, um, the University of Laverne coach was there because my parents had gone there and kind of knew the coach, didn't know him a lot, but um, just kind of said, hey, my son has his game. And I actually wrote a letter to him. And he actually came and saw the game. Um, and fortunately, I had a great game. I think I was three for four or something. And uh, he came up to me. He says, have you ever thought about coming to U University of Laverne? And um, I said, yeah, he goes, you can, you can play on it for our team. And so I, I got there and um, didn't get a scholarship because it is division three, um, but uh, did get some aid, you know, uh, with books and stuff like that. And then um, they didn't keep every freshman on for the varsity team, but I was able to play on the varsity team for at Laverne for four, four years. And uh, that's just my, my, my playing path. And then, um, didn't really get looked at. Oh, I do have a funny story. Uh, I was a pitcher in, in college and, um, I thought, you know, maybe this would be my pathway to the majors being a pitcher. Cause you know, I threw 82. Um, <laughs> and, um, I remember we played Azusa Pacific at night, but we also played Caltech during the day. Well, Caltech and Azusa Pacific have the same Jersey colors and, um, the scouts were were there at the game for the afternoon game. And I was pitching against Caltech. That's who we were playing. And they were orange and black and the scouts were there. And I was on the mound and I was looking and there were seven scouts in, in the stands. I'm like, cool, I'm getting scouted here. And, and I'm throwing. Well, what happened was we, we were playing a zoo specific at seven 30 that night. And both our aces were going and they threw probably 95, both of them. And so they thought that the Azusa Pacific game was 3.30. They saw the colors. And so when I was on the mound, I threw my first pitch, and I saw them all look at their, their guns, and a couple of them hit the side of their gun to see if it was broken, and they did it again. And 
same thing and they just packed up and left and said is this Azusa Pacific and the crowd goes no it's Caltech they go oh Azusa Pacific tonight okay we're out of here so all seven of them got up and walked away so there went my chance for the major leagues <laughs> that's fantastic oh my <laughs> oh boy that's hilarious well well Scott I have to ask as a as a current official and uh, you know a pitcher who threw 82 in college uh, what was your perception as a player of umpires? Was it this, the classic, uh, you know, tension like you see with all ball players, or did you think umpires were just, you know, lazy guys that didn't know how to see straight? I mean, what was your perception as a, a guy in his twenties playing baseball? You know, I really didn't have, I mean, I would, when I wasn't pitching, I would be on the, in the, in the dugout ragging on the umpire. Um, whatever. <laughs> um I never really, I, back in the day, we never really, when I played, there wasn't really that, that, the, that officials in general all over were, were bad pe- people. Um, there were actually some real good uh, officials that, um, or umpires that, that did, did our games. And we had a, we had a couple of them that would always do our games. So I got to know them a little bit. Um, yeah, they missed a few calls, but they also made up for them. And, you know, I never really, took that as like, oh, I'm going to get into to umpiring um, or, or <laughs> refereeing or anything. Um, so I, I really thought that they did a good, good job. So do you think, uh, at least when you're playing, I mean, all hitters think a zone is huge and I'm sure pitchers think strike zones are, are small. So back in those days, uh, let me see here, you got out in 19. So the late eighties, you're playing college baseball. Uh, did you think the zones, at least at the Division Three level, were pretty big uh, when you're out there hurling the ball over the plate or round it anyway? Oh <laughs> uh, well, no. I thought I thought for for me throwing my 82 mile an hour gas um, with <laughs> no movement what, whatsoever. I thought they were pretty generous for 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 me. Um, <laughs> I did have a I did have a great curve curveball. That's one. Well, what one of the scouts said, he goes, you have a major league curveball, but you have a, not even a rookie fastball. I said, well, that's good. Thanks a lot. Um, but no, I was, I was a, a control pitcher. pitcher. I was kind of like a, a, a Maddox. My, my uh, job, my, my goal was to have single digit walks the whole seat, you know, overall the whole seat season. I think I, I think I did, did that, but I also think I had single digit strikeouts the whole season too. So that, that was fun. <laughs> man, so many people get so caught up in numbers, but man, it's about getting outs, putting up zeros, and however you got to do that. Uh, you know, some guys, some guys just don't throw strikes. It drives me crazy. It's like, dude, you're supposed to be this great pitcher, and, and you either you nibble too much, and it's like, if that's your style, cool. But other guys, it's like, dude, just be consistent and be around the zone. You're going to be okay. Guys are going to get hits here and there. It's just, it's part of baseball. Uh, well, Scott, tell me about coaching. You got out of high school baseball or college baseball also. Uh, you started refereeing football. We kind of covered that. Uh, you eventually became a teacher at the high school level for at Azusa and then back to your alma mater in Covina. And you also had some experience in coaching baseball at the high school level. So tell me what it was, tell me about what it was like being a high school baseball coach. Um, it was actually, it was actually pretty fun. Um, I would, when I graduated from college in, in 90, I actually went back because my baseball coach at Covina was still there. So he asked me to come back and um, be an assistant on the varsity team. And um, so I, I went back there and, and uh, 
assisted him from 91 to, to 95. And being young, you know, you think you know everything. Um, oh, I can, I can change these guys and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then I started getting to officiating fo football. And then I realized some of, the, some of the guys that did football also did baseball. So I started to, to form this like friendship uh, with, with these guys and hoping they, they, they would give us some, some calls or, or something uh, during, the, during the season, but that, that never happened. Um, but uh, no, it was, it was early. It was, I was gung-ho. Gung I wanted to be that coach. I wanted to be that, that head coach that, that could win the championship. Um, but then you know, and then I went to Azusa for a couple of years. That's where I first started te teaching was at Azusa and was the head coach there and started to get a glimpse at what all goes on as a head coach, what you have to do, not just during the season, but during the off season, um, you know, make sure you are, have your guys ready and, and all that. And during the sixth period, then um, went back to Kavina um, and was there from like 90, eight to 2012 as an assistant. And then I also was a co-head coach with one of my friends there. And um, we, we did, we did well, went to the playoffs almost every year, um, coached some great players. Um, but like I said, after my one stint as a head coach at Covina, I knew that head coaching and coaching football or coaching baseball wasn't for me. Um, football was, was my passion. So Interesting. Well, you mentioned a couple of players that you've really, uh, that were really good that you had opportunity to coach at Covina high school. And, uh, as a, as someone who went to Cal state Fullerton, I, I saw these guys play at the college level and I know they had some success in the professional level, but, uh, the, the pill brothers, Tyler pill and Brett pill. I mean, what could you tell me about each of those guys and what it was like, uh, just kind of your interaction with the pill family and, and maybe any other great players that you coached? Well, you know, I, I really molded those two into great players because they had nothing coming to Kavina. <laughs> no natural <laughs> ability. <laughs> it's not like their dad didn't have a, a, a CIF record <laughs> picking or anything. And, uh, no, they're, they're a great family. Um, a great – I mean, that baseball was their life. Both of them played uh, um, basketball, um, but baseball was their, was their go-to. Go um, their dad would, you know – he would be out there when they were young, just throwing batting practice constantly. And that's how they became great players. They just, they had that dad that would throw batting practice, hit them ground balls or, or whatever. So when I got to, I got to know Brett as a sophomore and he, he came up as a, as a so sophomore um, and um, kind of a, you know, real quiet, quiet guy. And um, then as we progressed, we got to know each other and, and uh, got to know the family. And then when uh, Ryan Merrill took, took over, I think it was Brett's uh, senior year, um, Ryan actually told the, the family that, you know, Brett wanted to play short and he wanted to pitch. Well, he wasn't a, he wasn't a, a, a short shortstop um, because of his, of his speed. He kind of had that Cal Ripken body, the lanky body, but the speed wasn't there. So, uh, Ryan Merrill said that he's either going to be a first baseman um, in in college, and the, I don't think the parents really wanted to really wanted to hear that, and so he went to Fullerton. And where where did he play? First base. <laughs> yeah. um, and then 
so Brett Brett had a real good head on his shoulders. He was he was he he was a real good team player along with with, with Tyler too. Um, but you know we we Brett was a quiet team team leader. Um, pounded the ball on, on you know great pit, pitcher. Um, so then we get Ty, Tyler and Tyler was uh, was a little smaller. And uh, he, again, like, like I said, I really had to mold him into a player because he had nothing. He was raw. Um, but he came in, and um, the only thing we were telling Tyler is, you know, you can't always pull the ball. You're, you're going to need to go – you're going to need to have to go gap to gap to be a, a, a real good hitter in college. And he goes, oh, no, pulling the ball is cool. So we're like, okay. And then on the mound, um, he – he thought his fastball was his main main pitch. Yeah, he was throwing nine, 92, but he had an awesome change changeup. This thing was amazing. And we said, "No, your your changeup is your best pitch." And he goes, "No, the fastball." So we let him we we let him go. And uh, when he got to to Fullerton, he came back his first year, and he started. We heard on the on the um, baseball field or on the on the field, we gave his dad and, and him a key and they were hitting on the field. All of a sudden I, I hear this, this crack of the bat and I'm like, what's going on? And this left-handed batter is going gap to gap. And I'm like, who is that? I walk out there. It's Tyler. I said, Oh, Tyler he goes, yeah, the coach said if I wanted to hit, I needed to go gap to gap. I said, huh? I wonder where you heard that from. Um, so that was a story about Ty- Tyler. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's great stuff. Because uh, you hear that all the time now, you know, coaches tell kids one thing and, you know, I don't need to hear that. And then the next level, they tell you the same thing that you were told at the previous level. So uh, hilarious stuff. And yeah, Tyler was a phenomenal pitcher in college, uh, a good hitter as well. He, he, he played, but, you know, did both, both uh, swung the bat and pitched. Uh, Brett Pill obviously played on that 2004 national championship team for Fullerton, had a, a big pinch hit, I believe, in uh, the decisive game of that World Series against yeah. Texas. Uh, so really cool seeing guys grow up and, and do good things, and especially at the various levels they've played. So that's got to make you pretty proud. Uh, but, but, Scott, you mentioned it a little bit about how some of the guys who umpired those baseball games in the high school level are also guys that were your colleagues uh, as football officials. And, uh, you know, Luther Wilson, Ruben Lopez, just to name a few. Uh, so what was it like – uh, having guys umpire your games as a coach and then also be, you know, your crewmates or your colleagues it, during the football season. I mean, did you treat those guys any different uh, when you're the coach for baseball or did you treat them harder or any, any funny stories working with those guys? Um, I didn't treat them differently. I, I mean, I was hoping I wouldn't get um, any favoritism or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it's one of those things where I, as an official being in, in fo- football, I understand that we're all human. We're, got, we're all going to make, make mistakes. And my big thing was if I made a mistake, I was, I was going to own, own up to it. And I'm just, when I talk to the guys, I just say, well, did you make a mistake? Just own up to it. And that's, all, and everyone would, you know, or, or whatever. Um, I have a, cu- a, a couple stories that, that happened. And, um, one was when when Tyler was was pitching. I think it was a sophomore year. Um, Luther was what you mentioned. Luther Wilson. He was behind the plate, and I had to go out and talk to Tyler, and um, just went out and talked to him. And Luther comes out and he goes, "Coach, you got to go." I'm all, "Don't tell me what to do. Don't even, don't don't ever tell me what." 
what to do or, or where to go. This is my mound. I'm going to stay out here. And Tyler, be, being a sophomore, was kind of looking at me like, oh, what is coach going to get thrown out? Or whatever? <laughs> and I just, I just walked back and, and at the, at the half, you know, Luther kind of winked at me and stuff. And we went back and after the half inning, Tyler came back in. He goes, coach, do you, do you know that guy? I go, no, I've never seen him. And uh, so Tyler, I kind of got you on that, on that good side. But then the other one was Ruben Lopez. We were playing Northview. And this is the one where, you know, we get the, we get the, the, at, at the end of the game, after we, everything happened, he apologizes because, you know, there's only, there's only one time in baseball, you, you can, you have to have four outs in a game. <laughs> yeah. and, um, oh boy. Yes. <laughs> I always tell my I always tell my coaching staff when I was coaching this is the only time that you have to have four outs in an inning, you know, for for things to happen. So bases loaded, and um, fly ball hit the center, and our guy from third didn't tag, which I was telling him to, and he ran and crossed home plate. Well, again, home plate's the only plate or the only base where you can't once you pass it, you can't go back and you know, and then. So I'm sitting there and there was, there was one out. So the guy runs home and then the guy at second, and this was, this was going to be for the win. The guy at second, I don't know what he was doing, starts taking off. So the guy catches it for the second out, throws it to second and tags and steps on second base. And I'm like, okay, but they never threw home and stepped on home or, or third to get the yeah. fourth out. So that run would have counted if they, if they would, if, and I was like, I was mad at the runner. If I would have known better, we would have, we would have won. I would have went out there and said that run counts because they got the third out over there, but our, our run yeah. lost before the third out and they never got the fourth out, but it was Northview and there, there was going to be heck to pay. Oh and, man. And Ruben came up out a couple days later. Cause you know, we're doing the, football stuff and he goes you know I'm really sorry I should have known I go Ruben there's nothing we you should have you could have done that's one of those things where it's very rare and you know so very rare I remember that that was kind of right as I started officiating uh, everything and kind of learning about all these different relationships and yeah it's a very odd rule that not many people know about and yeah everyone thinks oh that's a force out it's a force out that's not a force out it's an appeal when you double off a runner after a catch and yeah, if you don't properly appeal, uh, then yeah, the run scores. And so anyway, uh, anyone who has questions about that could, could call me or whatever, but that, that's so funny. And, and I loved your approach on that, Scott, because it was like, Hey, we're the ones that didn't tag up like that. That's on us. And, and in that situation, Covina versus Northview at the time, I mean, the whole city of Covina is there, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, just a crazy, crazy atmosphere atmosphere. And, and Covina on a side note, what a great, uh, baseball city in itself and the great history of baseball in uh, the city of Covina. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it all, it all came back. I mean, it all starts with, I mean, even, even Northview to they're, they're, they're in the city as well. Um, it all stemmed from that world series championship, both Brett pills world series, you know, the, that mm -hmm. Colt uh, or that was a pony or Colt world series team that, that won it. And that really, that really, um, elevated the the whole the whole city's love for the game um and then i think there was another uh cult team that won a world series back in the 70s um and you know there were some big names on that one too and and hollenbeck park is has 
has produced a lot of uh, a lot. <laughs> Sounds like you got a guess there. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, great baseball tradition uh, for sure in the city of Covina. You know, all of my family, they, uh, my entire family, my mom, my dad, my uncle, they they all are Northview people, so uh, I have that connection there. Uh, and I know, I know you're a Covina guy uh, all these years, uh, you know, playing there and coaching there and everything and, and now teaching there as well. And, and Scott, as we kind of wrap it up here, if, if you could tell me about teaching and especially uh, with this whole COVID lockdown the past few months and how you, you mentioned to me that you just started back into school um, recently and, and kind of tell me wh- what that is like currently and in going forward, maybe some of the challenges uh, in this upcoming year as, as everyone's kind of fighting this, this uh, COVID-19 and the lockdown policies and everything. Uh, what do you see in going forward and maybe some current challenges? Oh, the challenges are, are, are immense because, you know, you have the, you have the students that aren't with the other students and have that social contact, you know, that, that outlet from being at, at, at home. Um, and, it's just always online, trying to keep them motivated online, um, you know, doing the work online. We, we're fortunate because um, our school has, uh, has done um, a lot of stuff with computers. So everyone has had a computer for, or every, our, our district has, has done the, the, the devices so they know how to work uh, Google Meet, Google Classroom, and so on. So... Um, but the challenges are just keeping them motivated and know that, hey, this is actual, this is, this is actually a new year. So the homework that we give you um, is counts towards your grade because before it was, it couldn't hurt your grade. Now, it, now it, it, it's mandatory. Um, but the challenges too are, you know, the Wi-Fi connections. Kids nowadays with, at home with maybe their, their brothers or sisters who have to be online and their connection gets lost, they, they, they might lose something there. Um, but we're trying to, we're trying to work through it. And um, hopefully, you know, sooner than later, we're back in the cl- classroom, whether it's with half of our students one day, and then the other half comes in later. Um, hopefully, we get that done. So it's just the fact too of not seeing the kids, which is a big challenge, and seeing the expressions on their faces, you know, as you're, as you're teaching them, because you can, you, you, you get a lot of of do they understand it by the expression they have on, on their face um, or you can't really see that on the computer. So, well, and you work primarily with special ed is, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so isn't that an even bigger challenge? Whereas with special ed, I'm, I'm assuming you kind of need that more uh, individual one-on-one time or kind of giving more attention to these students. And now you have to do it from a distance I, I can't imagine uh, the, the the extra challenges that that puts on on you and your colleagues. Yeah, I I mean our kids again the, the the kids that I teach are are one step away from you know going into the regular ed classroom. They just have a little bit of a maybe a processing problem where they need to see things more vi- visually and have more uh, things presented to to them like some um, something that they can use as as manipulatives to, to answer the problem. But they're, again, like, like I said, most of these kids are, are very 
computer savvy. And it, it, it's really interesting and, and fascinating to see that, that they can, they can, they do the work. And, um, but yeah, it's just that, that the drawback is not being able to, you know, after I give a lesson or, or give, and then give them the work, not being able to walk over to a student right away and uh, ask them for, for help or, you know, or, or give them the help that, that they need um, because they're on the computer and maybe they don't want to ask for help when they're, when they're on this Zoom or, or, or Google Meet. So, um, wow. Yeah, it's a challenge. But, you know, hopefully pretty soon we're back in. We've heard some, some good uh, uh, reports on the news, but we also heard some bad stuff. So, you know, we're still in this state of, state of uh, limbo, right? right yeah. yeah, I I hear you there. I mean, you hear one good thing and then two bad things. It's just, uh, who knows what's going to happen. All you can do is uh, keep showing up and keep on keeping on, I guess. Well, all the best to you and your fellow teachers uh, in, in moving forward. You guys got a pretty tough, tough task ahead, we'll say, with this distance learning, and hopefully it does get back to normal soon. And hopefully a lot of things get back to normal soon. Football in the fall, I mean, I don't know what fall's going to be like here without football. It's kind of weird to even think about. Uh, I hope you guys do get a season in, uh, Scott, whether it be the Big Sky and hopefully also uh, high school football in the springtime or February, whenever it's going to be played. And, and we'll see, man, and moving forward. And, and I hope uh, this time next year things are back to normal, even though that's a long ways away. Uh, Scott, I do want to thank you for coming on the program, man. It was fun catching up and talking about uh, a couple different things. I mean, I, I really had fun. Yeah, thanks, Matty. We really appreciate it, and uh, hope things are well with you, and and and, are, and, are, and you're keeping on. So <laughs> that's all we that's all we can do, man. That's all we can do. Uh, I, I wish that uh, down the road here soon that uh, I could uh, meet up with you guys and and maybe talk some football. Uh, you know, who knows when it'll be, but I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. So great um, talking to you. I hope to see you soon, man. All right, man. Thank thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate Take care, it, Scotty. All right, we'll see you. Thank you so much to Scott Root for coming on the program and talking some football with us. I think it's a perfect way to get us around third and home safe for the weekend to talk some football and a little baseball because Scott used to coach third base a little bit for the Covina Colts a time or two. So uh, fun chatting with you, Scott, and always a pleasure talking sports, talking whatever. Hope to see you very, very soon. Give my best to the family. And uh, yeah, man, let's uh, hope, hope for a football season here upcoming very, very soon. Well, guys, that will wrap up our week of shows. It's been an absolute blast. I know we're talking a little bit more about current events as they happen, as they break. Uh, it's just a crazy time we're in, man. The year 2020, uh, I, I don't know what's next. I, <laughs> we're only two-thirds of the way through it. I, I, I'm not sure uh, what the uh, last one-third of it will be. But, man, I'm looking forward to December 31st and, and turning the page and getting to 2021. Uh, hopeful for a lot of good things down the road. I know for me personally, but also for our country and just everyone that is involved, whether they're listening to this program or otherwise, a lot of people out there that I care about and I wish you all the best in moving forward. Guys, there's plenty of ways to listen to the Get Home Safe podcast. You, you are well aware of that as you are listening to this program right now, but there's also ways to follow it. You can listen, excuse me, you can follow us uh, through our social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. 
That's the best way to reach us with an email. But if you'd like to contact us through social media, that's just fine too. There's also a way to send in a voice message. And I keep saying this every end of the show. I just want you guys to be aware. If you've tuned in and want to be involved, maybe not be interviewed, you just want your voice heard, you can send in a voice message. It can be done through the Anchor app or anchor.fm. Look for our podcast, Get Home Safe. Look for the green button. It says messages on it. It's a one-minute limit. Just send us a message of a recording of your voice, whether it be a question, a suggestion, anything really it's a one minute limit so keep it to 60 seconds uh, and i can play that message on the program at some episode and i can answer the question or give my rebuttal whatever the case may be i know bill barnes is a big fan of those uh, getting messages or uh, voice messages from listeners so for those that want to tune in and or uh, be included i guess in the program and get bill bars bill barnes opinions uh, or my opinions on subjects feel free to send them in we would love to hear from you guys just like you hear from us monday through friday here on the get home safe podcast we put out our episodes usually sometime pretty early in the morning so that you have an option of when to listen to it throughout the day and we really appreciate appreciate all of your support guys it's been a lot of fun i know we may not agree on everything but uh, there's nothing wrong with that disagreement is uh you know it's common it makes the world go round. so Anyway, we'll be uh, back at it here on Monday after a few days off here over the weekend. Not sure what I'm going to watch, if I'm going to watch any sports or not, but um, we'll see. We'll see. I'll try to take a breath here and, and uh, see and moving forward what, uh, what what options are out there for me. But anyway, it's been a lot of fun. Already have two great episodes lined up for you next week as far as guests go. Two fun interviews. I'm not going to fill you in on those. I'm going to tease it a little bit. You're just going to have to tune in on Sunday night to our Facebook page, our Instagram page, or our Twitter page to see who will be coming on the program and what information uh, is about them. So that's a big reason to follow us on social media so you know the upcoming guests the night before our podcast is released the following day. That's how we operate. We hope you are a fan of the show. We love your support. We love having you. So guys, have a wonderful weekend. We know things are starting to open up a little bit more now here and there. So uh, be safe out there no matter what you're doing. And guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or round in third base, get home safe.